everybody. Get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. we got a great weekend uh, show for you. Uh, we just want to welcome again our new sponsors, uh, ProFish, The Point, Tony and Joe's, Nick's Riverside Grill, and the Ivy City Smokehouse. want to welcome them to the show you have some stuff you want to say. Yeah, so it is busy out there. The holidays are in full, full vibe all around the city. Uh, markets are, um, holiday markets are all over the place from uh, downtown D.C. to Mosaic, out in Bethesda. So you want to go and really, uh, you know, take care of these uh, local makers who are making incredible things and also enjoy the holiday spirit. Uh, so go to the list, areyouonit.com, the online e-zine that tells you everything that's happening in the D.C. metro area, including all these markets. Lots of new openings have happened in the last couple of weeks. You certainly want to stay up to date with that. And of course, you want to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to stay up to date on everything happening. Why don't you tell us who's on today's wow, show? Wow, sounded like a recorded announcement. All right, well, back with us again and again and again is the fabulous Phil Green. Phil is an author, a cocktail historian. He's one of the founders of the Museum of the American Cocktail down in New Orleans, and he's the winner of the 13th Annual Spirited Award for Best New Book on Drinks, Culture, History, or Spirits. But he also has a new book. And he, Cheers. Can, he can hit a lime drive over the fence every time. He's got a new book called Cheers, Cocktails and Toast to Celebrate Every Day of the Year, and by God, you can... You can spend your day drinking 365 days a year. We're going to hear from Phil shortly. Uh, Levin DeGant is with us. He's the owner and founder of Sparklist. It's a monthly... No, no, no. Sparklist. Sparklist. Come on. Give it it some oomph here. Let's do it. Sparklist. There we go. It's a monthly subscription box uh, containing three bottles of mixed origin and type of sparkling wines, right? Mm -hmm. From $20 to $60. We're going to hear from Levin shortly. And uh, Joselito Casa de Comidas uh, brings a piece of Spain to Capitol Hill in a very sexy way. It's not <laughs> your basic paella restaurant by far. Uh, executive chef and culinary director is David Sierra. He runs the kitchen there. He's with us. I've spent some time talking to him. He's lovely. Oh, so we're gonna nice. we're gonna talk to David shortly. But okay. first, Phil Green, the Hi, man, Phil. the man and the myth. It's been oh. a while. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, the last time I think was the the last book. So yes. I, I need to write more books. You do well. So. so let's get into before we get into Cheers, which is an amazing tomb. Let's talk about your history a little bit. How you got into the cocktail gig? I went to law school in New Orleans, and I was a history major coming out of, of college. And I joined the club. New Orleans <laughs> is a place where there's culinary and cocktail history, you know, dripping from the walls. And uh-huh. I I learned to cook down there. Uh, New Orleans got in my blood, but 10 years later, I just remembered that my grandmother was born there. I did my family tree. I discovered related to a guy named Antoine Peychaud, and he right. created Peychaud's Bitters. So I became an expert on his life and times. And this is before the cocktail renaissance started. But once we got into the cocktail renaissance, I, I joined up with a group of other amazing people. and We founded the Museum of the American Cocktail. So it all came from having lived in New Orleans and being related to this bitters well, guy. Let's talk a little about the cocktail renaissance because – 
I mean, that's a real deal. It was almost like it was a forgotten art except for folks who sat in small, but don't dark, you think smoky you, bars. But you, know. you also had, not that you were a leader in it, but you were a part of this like large group that was nationally bringing craft cocktails back to the forefront. We, you know, coming out of the 90s, people were eating and drinking better. I mean, coming out of the 80s, really, with the craft beer movement. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I joined up with Dale DeGroff, Ted Hay, Robert Hess, Chris name McMillan. Name drop, name drop, name drop. Jared Brown, Anastasia Miller. And I, I met them at Tales of the Cocktail in 2004. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was just a, a you know, a, a self-pronounced expert on New Orleans cocktails. But, yeah, I mean, among us and people like David Wondrich and Sasha Protosky, a lot of the great bartenders of New York and San Francisco and elsewhere wanted to put better drinks on on the map, and, mm-hmm. and you know we have, and it's been a great a great renaissance. So, was it the consumer saying we want something better, more creative to drink, or was it you guys doing it and people going, "Whoa"? It's both. It's you know you're pushing a rope sometimes, but sometimes people are demanding better drinks. You know, I I came of age when. You had daiquiri mix that was powdered, or yeah. God, you know, so would you make a mimosa with tang? No, I mean you want to use real orange juice. I mean, so right. it's just the crap. Right. You mean the drink of astronauts? How exactly. dare you, sir? I, I'm sorry. How dare you? <laughs> no, I, you have a very good point, but there was a real shift, yeah, in the cocktail world um, that is evident today in how we uh, do things now. But you really have written different books. Let's just go through the books you've written before we get to your new so, one. So ten years, well. About 12 years ago, I recognized that I had a, a lot of interest and in knowledge about Ernest Hemingway and as, as well as cocktails. So there's right. sort of a Venn diagram. So I published 10 years ago last month to have and have another a Hemingway cocktail companion. It's like a drinker's guide to Hemingway. Uh-huh. Two years later, I followed with uh, the Manhattan, the story of the first modern cocktail. This this drink really revolutionized bartending circa 1880 because it introduced vermouth into the bartender's toolkit. Nobody had ever heard of vermouth before. Hmm. And all of a sudden it was like the killer app of cocktails. If, you know, they, they say, oh, well, it works great with whiskey. Let's try it with gin. That's the martini or the Martinez. Let's try it with scotch. It's the Rob Roy. So it was like the drink that launched the thousand ships and that that drink that book was a lot of and fun. Vermouth is actually wine, isn't it? It's a fortified, fortified wine. aromatized wine, exactly. Which, it, it's and it's only like eighteen percent. How do I know that? But anyways, <laughs> right. And then um, there are more books. And then the third book was, uh, if you've seen the movie Midnight in Paris, you know you you recognize that that you you understand that Paris was a mecca for artists back in the twenties, from Hemingway to Fitzgerald to Dos Passos to Picasso to you know Gertrude Stein to Cole Porter, you name it. Um, and, you know, people flock there. So I, I, I wanted to write The Drinker's Guide to Paris of the 1920s. It's called A Drinkable Feast, mm-hmm. A Cocktail Companion to 1920s Paris. What they were drinking, where they were drinking, the great stories, folklore, James Joyce, Dorothy Parker, you name it. A lot of fun. All right. So before we get into this book, because we're going to go to our first guest, what are you going to mix us first from Cheers, well, Cocktails and Toast to celebrate every day of the year? So I chose May 8th. Two two pretty amazing things happened on May 8th. One is of... of yes. Oh, wait, wait. Three three amazing things. No, I'm getting no, to the, oh, I'm getting the one you're thinking that's of. That's right. On May 8th, and I won't give the year because I don't know it. But oh, it was that's okay. Probably in the 1980s. Uh, Nikki Nellis was born. Yes. And well, you are the BSers, BSer baby. But yeah. And uh, so we're going to do a drink called the Sweet Taste of Victory. But I'm, we're actually celebrating the end of World War II in Europe, May 8th is VE Day. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do a drink called The Sweet Taste of, of Victory. So the premise of the book is for every day of the year, there's something worth celebrating. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the victory in Europe. Yeah. There's a drink tied to it, The Sweet Taste of Victory. You're going to have a, a quote or a toast, and you're going to have a song or, or a video to watch. So, Excellent. Um, 
So let me wait. Um, no, while you make that cocktail, we're going to go on to our first guest, right. and then we'll talk about it afterwards. Okay, let's talk All about. Right, now so, we're going to talk about my next favorite thing: <laughs> sparkling wine. Yes. So, Lewin Degant is a. You're a serial entrepreneur. Is that a good way of describing you? Ex- yes, except I don't make cereal. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So he's the comedian here. Are you a serial killer? No. All right. Okay. So seriously, I mean, I, I read your bio. You're constantly futzing around with stuff. So what led so you- So give us a little bit of your yeah. background. Tell us about yourself. Uh, it's a little odd to say sometimes, but I've never worked for anybody. So mm-hmm. um, started from a very young age. I was a bike courier here in D.C. when I was 18, 19 years old. So mm-hmm. I spent three years- Oh, I think I recognize your middle finger. Yeah. 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 There we go. So I, I was one of those guys cruising around between the cars and running lights and mm-hmm. making everybody mad, but- You must be so proud. Uh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, that just translated into, I mean, I moved into, I was really into music. I was really into DJing. I started um, I started the first electronic music store and um, specs focused exclusively on electronic music here in D.C. Okay. That transitioned into starting what became the biggest club night, one of the biggest club nights in America for 10 years that I ran. Okay, and, so tell us about it. And a record store and a record label. and it just No, 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 of, but like, what was the club night? Anyone who lived in D.C. in the 90s or mm-hmm. early 2000s, whoever went out, most of them are familiar with me through the name Buzz. B-U-Z-Z. Okay. Buzz was a very large um, weekly event that we did. And it was considered a super club at the time. Mm-hmm. So we were one of the larger events in the 90s. The club was called? No, the club was Ibar. That was a future one. Oh. Hmm. I moved on from <clears throat> Buzz in the 90s and then the early 2000s. Uh, opened another bar called Well, we Ibar. started dating in 93, and we, there was a while there where we were... Well, stum- I was a big club girl. We were stu- she was a big club girl, and we were stumbling. I was getting dragged to clubs. Yes. We were stoned a lot. Maybe I don't remember. <laughs> okay, so you're in the music industry. Was it being surrounded by all the booze that got you into booze? Like, how do we get to today? Where's your interest in bubbles? I was just, I was in the bar, bar industry for many years, for 20 years, basically, before I sold my last bar, and then I got a little tired of the, the nightlife side of things. Mm-hmm. But yes, being in that atmosphere, I always had a fondness for sparkling wine and mm-hmm. bubbles. So I've just sort of gone back to that now. And when did you found Sparklist? Officially launched in May of this year. Okay. And let's talk about the concept of what it is, because it's rather new. Yeah, so it all started really because I was a little over, about two years ago, I was looking for a birthday Christmas gift for my wife. And over the years, like many people- It's her birthday, May 8th too? It's December 2nd. Okay. (laughs) Oh, we just had her birthday. Yes. So it was, uh, there are a lot of wine clubs. We belong to wine clubs over the years, mm-hmm. and I wanted to get her something a little different. I liked sparkling wine. I knew she did as well. So I searched around, signed up, found one, and then realized over time that after a couple of months of getting these and really enjoying it, that it's really, there are very few. There may be hundreds and hundreds of wine clubs, but when you look at exclusively focused on sparkling wine mm-hmm. and you boil it down to ones that are, I would call, you know, meaning uh, affordable on a monthly basis, there was one. Really? On the West Coast. and With national distribution? Um, I mean, she could ship to many states, uh, just like me, basically. I'm, a, I'm kind of an East Coast version of what she is. And the owner of that one um, is really nice. I've spoken to her many times. She was actually helpful to me when I was getting started. I love that. And, yeah, so I'm kind of an East Coast version of what she does on the West Coast. But it's still something that is a very niche Product. I mean, a lot of wine clubs offer sparkling wine, but it's very different because they don't focus on it. 
So mm-hmm. I spend my days tasting. I mean, I've easily tasted over 300, probably close to 400 sparkling wines just in the I hope past you're not year. getting on your bike after that. Well, right. <laughs> well, so as you, so you decided to come up with the idea to do this membership program. What's, how does it roll out? And then we'll take a break. And then I want to talk about how you curate because there's so many sparklers out there and there's so much education that needs to go with it because the big houses get all the glory and the growers and the, you know, the sparklers, whether it's from, uh, you know, Mexico or, uh, you know, Spain or, uh, you know, anywhere don't get the same sort of glory because they're all different. They're all done differently. Absolutely. So let's talk about what the program is. What is the program with the membership? How does it work? So it's uh, it's three bottles a month, right? Mm-hmm. It's $109 a month, $3 a month. You can do choose every month or every other month. And the three bottles, are, it's always going to be a mix. Typically, mm-hmm. roughly 90% of the time, one of them will be a champagne, mm-hmm. and the other two will be sparkling wines um, from different regions. We've had wines from Spain, Germany, mm-hmm. Italy, Greece, America, all, you know, over. all over representing them. So it's just a way to give a variety and introduce people. But to your point, it is an education well, we're going to get to that. We have to take a quick break. Hold on. Uh, you can hold uh, on. Uh, this is David and Nikki Nellis on Foodie and the Beast. It's Boozy in Studio for a change. We'll be back in just a sec. Okay, so anybody who knows me knows that if it's sports, I will watch it on TV, except for cricket. I don't do cricket. But I love going <laughs> to watch my sports at Nick's Riverside Grill in Georgetown. It's fabulous. They've got 21 TV screens down there. Uh, they've got a great selection of beers The food is terrific. They've got a dish called the Crazy Big Nachos that is exactly as described, and a Detroit-style deep-dish pizza that's just nuts. And there's nothing like watching a game, stuffing your face with a bunch of people that are enjoying it just like you are. Nick's Riverside Grill in Georgetown. If you love sports and you love fun food, go there. Okay, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Levin DeGant about Sparkleist, his, uh, his wine club. And uh, Sparkling Wine Club. Uh, so can we talk about well, how you... No, no, no. I, I was asking the question before. So no, you stopped me from no. asking a question. How do you go Not about... Fair. So there's all these sparklers out there. And a lot of people don't really understand the difference between champagne and white champagne. And then, you know, a cava and a prosecco and some bubbly out of New Mexico. So how do you go about a curation... And then be, you know, per box, and then be, how do you educate people with what they're drinking? Well, I'll be first. The, edu- the education part is a big part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Th- that's part of what I enjoy doing. This is not just introducing people and discovering new sparkling wines, but really helping educate them as to what is out there. It's a very mis- misunderstood, myth-ridden and misrepresented industry because people are used to going to a liquor store or grocery store, and you might see large aisles full of, full of wine, and then you get this tiny little section that is sparkling wine. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's really no chance for anyone to ever develop and learn uh, about the variety that exists out there. So it's really fun to be able to introduce people to the fact that there are hundreds and thousands of producers of sparkling wine. Mm-hmm. And curating it and finding it is it's a tough job. I have to taste a lot. Um, but is there a specific a specificity to each box? Do you, are you looking for each box to either be regionally based or to have a different context? Like, is there a story in each box? Yes, uh, there's a theme to there's a theme to the quality. 
theme. It was just a quality level that I look for. And mm -hmm. then there's no particular theme to the box itself in terms of countries. That's just going to vary a lot uh, depending on what I've come across and what I've stumbled on and what I've just selected for that particular box. But the commonality is going to be quality and the stories are more about the individual bottles and the farmers that they come from. Mm. These, are, these are small productions. Um, so there's always a story about the farmer. These are real people. A lot of people forget that what you buy on the shelf, if it's a big mass-produced, okay, that's a big corporation or something. But these smaller, high-quality bottles, they're just small farmers. These are people that have sometimes as few as 5 to 10 acres of land producing thousands of bottles. Um, and to tell their stories, right, and realize that these are people who, like a farmer, going to a farmer's market, right? right. This is the same thing. I can I often refer to myself as the farmer's market of sparkling wine. Oh, I right? love that. That's a good one. So before I was so matrimonially mm -hmm. interrupted, I was going to ask if these are, I mean, they, your sources are all over the world. So how do you, basically, how do you source what they've got? Warehouse it and then ship it out. I mean, how does all that? Because the the the, the logistics of this, it? the logistics of it, not mechanics, logistics, mm -hmm. better word, uh, must be a beast. Uh, fortunately, DC is a great city to have any sort of um, business related to alcohol in, mm -hmm. and it allows for a lot of small distributors and importers to bring uh, alcohol and goods into DC. So there are dozens and dozens of distributors and importers in DC. Some are large, but a lot of them are medium and to very small. Mm -hmm. So even after a year of tasting and going through and meeting them and going through their portfolios of wines, I have yet to get to all of them. Sure. Right? So I'm constantly tasting. And then ones that, I've, that I'm gonna get to, the ones that I've been with, they have new product that comes in. They know what I'm looking for, they call me. So I'm constantly tasting um, what's out here. And then I can also travel and find things. And if I find a producer who's not distributed in the city that I really like, I can always reach out to one of my distributors and be like, I really want to get Go and have them pull a in summer in. number of cases and then so they'll bring it in. Um, where's most of your customer base? Currently, D.C. Okay. okay. In Washington. Because I noticed that you do private tasting sessions too. Correct. So what does that entail? Uh, tastings, uh, it's fun, right? It's, it's just, it's a way to learn, get a little bit of fun drinking bubbles. Bubbles have a give a reaction to people. Everyone mm -hmm. just seems to like them. It kind of picks everybody's spirits So do people bring you so in for like a party? Is that like how, how is this working? Yes. Yeah, so the tastings can be, it depends. So I did a tasting a couple nights ago for a small group of entrepreneurs. They have a little society entrepreneurially and they had a little get together and I provided the sparkling wine and we talked about it and they got together. I've done them in people's homes with four or five couples just getting mm -hmm. together Think of it as a Tupperware party, but a lot more fun. Yes. Um, what do you charge? Uh, it varies, right? It just kind of varies on what people are looking for. Uh, it can be just simple, basic, and or it can be more high-end. I have a mobile shucker that I work with, so if you want to do oysters, oh, I have a guy who will oh, actually boy. bring and shuck fresh oysters. Look another one, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like fun. So whether it's a corporate event or... A smaller private in a home, kind mm -hmm. of. I do all all different ones. Mm. So now, when um, let's get back to sort of the my getting the box. So I get the box. What comes like? What are the wines that you are digging right now that are coming in the box? Like, what can we expect? So it really boils down to my style um, because I'm curating these myself. Mm -hmm. So there is a commonality amongst all the bottles, which is going to be they're going to be more dry. They're going to be lower on the sugar level. Mm. Um, there is a, in the simplest terms, the way to describe it is a balance 
or otherwise I would say a drinkability to the bottles mm -hmm. that people are not used to. People are not typically used to sparkling wines tasting or at a quality level that I'm giving them because if they've bought them at a grocery store, it's just not going to be the same. Mass-produced mm -hmm. large volume bottles do not taste the same as smaller farmer uh, small like production growers. bottles. Yeah. So, well, so how do you educate people in that? Because I, I think when people are thinking of gifts, when it comes to buying sparkling, you know, the big houses get all the glory um, because they have the bigger marketing budgets. Absolutely. Um, but without name recognition, how do you advise to people? Like, if I was bringing a gift to a holiday party or something like that. How do you advise I let people know about the quality of the wine I'm bringing to them? Like, how do you share that story without sounding like a jerk? <laughs> you walk in and you say, this is good S, right? <laughs> yeah, so I always try to find a balance as well because one of the things I really dislike about sparkling wine and champagne is the surrounding luxurious celebratory atmosphere that it has sometimes. Really, mm -hmm. I want to also bring it down to people. I want people to just think of sparkling wine as wine, which is what it is, mm -hmm. and to just drink it, right? And stop saving it for some super special occasion or stop thinking that you have to make something special around it or anything like that. Really, mm -hmm. I try to just make it, right? It's an everyday drink uh, and people don't think of it that way. And part of that is the marketing and the branding of these big companies. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's always had that atmosphere. And, and I really want to try to kind of bring that down to the everyday level. Oh, well, I think that makes so, a lot of sense. To answer your question is, I don't like to over talk about it if I'm bringing it to somebody or anything like that. Right. Like if I'm doing a tasting, I really won't talk about it when I open it first. I just want people to taste it and then I'll and be like, it. you know, what do you think? All right. I want to get back to, because this is really fascinating because mm -hmm. I, I mean, started in May, you're still, it's still fresh. Are you sending along with the bottles some kind of collateral that says so you're looking this, at it. It's right in front of you. Well, this, uh, it's in front of me now. This yes. is great. Mm -hmm. So I really get a sense of what it is. And can people call you and say, I want to know more about this and, you know, get sort of. No, he's like, don't call me. <laughs> uh, they can. And so it actually, that's one of the things that I've wanted to do, right? Not just bringing sparkling wine down a little bit in terms of making it a little more accessible. Mm -hmm. It's also, I want people to understand, we're not just a wine club. I mean, wine clubs to me connotate a box shows up. They're right. Kind of faceless organizations, corporations. Some will tout like we have algorithms to pick your wine Favorite for your palate or something and this like and that. And like, right. no, this is this is what I love. Hopefully, you will love it as well. Mm -hmm. If you don't, then you won't continue. That's okay. But it's me. It's a small business. It's a family. I'm selecting these. I'm packing them. I'm sending them to you. If you need something, you want extra. You have a question. You want to do a tasting. You can just email me. You can DM me. You mm -hmm. can call. Right. It, it's it's a real business. It's not a corporation that's just trying to shove something. And, and is there still time to send this sparkle list as a holiday gift? Uh, yeah, there is. There is. I've been a little bit, um, fortunately, slammed um, mm -hmm. from some media that I received over the past week. And it's kind of skyrocketed mm -hmm. my business. Uh, slammed in a good way. In a good way. Oh, okay. In a good way. There was, yeah. I've, Otherwise, I've, your, your PR people better get on it. <laughs> I had a number that I was hoping to be at by late winter, early spring, and I'm basically at it now. Great. Congratulations. So it's sort of cool. added a little bit of hecticness to the past couple of weeks mm -hmm. and and a little difficulty because I do do small, like I said, limited quantities. So I'm so struggling so to refill the orders that I've got, that I've received in the past two weeks because I, it's, I really had to beg and plead to my distributor for one of the bottles, which is a New Zealand one. That it was super limited. They told me they gave me all they could. I said, I need to get a few more. And they mm -hmm. just told me a couple of days ago, we've got two more cases in New York. Mm -hmm. That's it for the whole East Coast. 
Wow. Um, you can have them in like four days, and that will cover just about what I need. But that's how limited it, it can be sometimes. Do you have help, or are you doing everything by yourself? I have my dog who sits around me and really just. Dogs know, are great help. Yeah. Yeah. You They're know, important. I asked my dog for help the other day and she just was licking herself. So <laughs> my my wife is a big help as well. My wife helps me a lot with. <laughs> you better throw that in. Boy, oh boy, um, oh boy. So I wouldn't go home if I were you after Before this. we wrap up, what is at this moment, right now, what are one or two of your favorite bubbles that you're like, this is, other than that New Zealand one, which you mentioned? What do you? What do you? What have you tasted? Give us two that you're like. This is so good. It's so different. I brought you one. Oh, okay. Well, why don't you tell us about it? <laughs> I brought. I could have easily brought champagne, right? Champagne, but it's easy. In a way, it's easier to find a good champagne. I mean, <laughs> it, it's harder to find a bad champagne. But in sparkling wine, like this is a Greek one, right? And people don't think of Greece when they think of sparkling wine. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll admit, I've had some that I didn't really like at all until I was introduced to this one. I tasted it and I was immediately like, this is different. And What's the grape? It's become a favorite of quite a few memories. I've had people reorder bottles and bottles of just this one. Mm -hmm. And when I do tastings, it's often this one uh, or another one that I brought that are picked out in preference over the champagne that they might have just because, yeah, it's just a quality to it that people are not used to and they really like it. This Greek one, it's uh, Xenomavro is mm -hmm. the primary grape for it. Mm -hmm. And it's from the mainland of Greece in a small town. They're like a lot of the wines that I have, they're organic. Uh, I don't specifically look for organic, but the smaller farmers just tend to be organic or Naturally, bi right. biodynamic, mm -hmm. very clean, no additives, very natural wines. Um, so that, that's kind of what helps give a lot of the quality. And if you want to talk about headaches at any point, I can also address how you won't get headaches from a lot of the ones that I provide. A lot of people but that's sugar. The headaches are sugar. Champagne and sparkling wine with headaches. And right. They don't understand. But it's the sugar. Nice. I always get a headache. No, it's, it's the sugar. Yeah, it's I all about say, the don't, sugar. Don't blame the bubbles. Blame the quality. Yep, it's about the sugar. Mm -hmm. Totally with you. I mean, you said something about sugar content, which I think a lot of people lose their their palate yeah. for bubbles because of the high sugar content in a lot of bubbles that come to the states. This particular one is zero sugar. Okay. All right. Tell everybody, please, where they can find you, uh, either on Instagram or online, and become a part of your club. Yeah, sparklist.com. Uh, and whether or not you spell it with a hyphen before the IST or not, you'll still find it. It'll okay. still Sparkle list. <laughs> Sparkle hyphen list. But you can just type sparkle ist, like a specialist. But sparkle list. But a sparklist, right? Love it. And members become sparklists. So. Excellent. And then the Instagram is the sparklist club. Excellent. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us My today. pleasure. All right. We're going to go back to Phil Green. So I love my birthday drink. Ah, excellent. So tell us what's in it. So it's made, uh, it's called the Sweet Taste of Victory. Uh, it was invented um, by a bartender in New York named Hal Wolin. And it contains uh, two ounces of high dive bourbon, mm -hmm. which is uh, distributed locally by Prestige LaDroit. Uh, the original recipe calls for three quarters of ounce Chambord. I'm going to use Messines Framboise. It's a, a great raspberry Mm -hmm. um, liqueur, two uh, three-quarter ounces of vanilla syrup, two dashes of Peychaud's bitters, my ancestor. Yes, of course. And blackberries or raspberries for the garnish. It's, it's really Beautiful. Nice. So I want to take you back to your book mm -hmm. because granting that you're an all-pro in the world of cocktails, to come up with 366. Sorry, I made a mistake. We need to take a break. <laughs> oh, well, we're going to, we're going to, let's hold that. All right. And Put a I pin ask, in it. I will ask that pithy question in a moment. So. <laughs> this is David and Nikki Nellis for having so much fun in studio, but we have to take a break. We'll be back in just a sec. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast <laughs> with David and Nikki Nellis and my 
my uh, truncated, my matrimonially truncated question will now be asked again. So you had to come up with 366 cocktail recipes. And I'm imagining. Because right, we got leap year in here. I'm imagining. Yeah. First of all, I'm, I'm a little PO'd that, uh, you know, I mean, you had to pick Nikki's birthday. I'm going to get our son Sam, as you know, is at Silver Lion Bar mm-hmm. here in D.C., which. I mean, I got to say, it was picked as the best hotel cocktail bar in America. I don't America. know what that has to do with right. this but interview, but so It's go a little ahead. plug for Sam. Well, we're in the world of cocktails, okay. but I'm going to have him pick a cocktail for my birthday too, Phil, okay. and then I'll let you know what it was. But having said that, how many total recipes did you come up with and then winnow down to 366? Well, and did you try all of them? I didn't try all of them. This is the first book where I didn't try every drink because I, I have a been day in job. the gutter. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, 366 drinks. So you'd come up, first you'd decide what your event was. And you try to find a drink that, that connects to it in some way. Well, there were times when I, I had a drink in mind and I, I had to build it the other way. I mean, but, did you have one for December 7th? Well, it's, <laughs> I do, but it's not Pearl Harbor Day because I'm not celebrating Pearl no, Harbor Day. Right. You know, these are fun or, you know, good events. So September 11th is going to have a different connotation. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, you, you hope to find a drink that connects with, with the event. And I had to say no to a lot of them because I don't want a Red Bull Sprite and – Right. Vodka drink, you know, I, these are curated drinks from the pages of some of the best bartending books of all time, going mm-hmm. back to Jerry Thomas's 1862, uh, the very first cocktail book. Uh, you know, Harry Craddock the, of the Savoy cocktail book, the Trader Vic, Trader Vic uh, bartending guide, plus some of the greatest contemporary bartenders of today. So I was more curating a great list of drinks that happened to have names that connect to the subject matter, the uh-huh. event of that day. But this, I mean. It sounds like so much research. I mean, all of your books are heavy on the research, but finding an event every day that is worthy of celebrating, adding a drink to it, adding a quote with it, adding music or a video with it. So can you walk us through the process a little bit? Sometimes it was driven by something I wanted to talk about, like when the Rat Pack first came together. It was a it was a trip to Las Vegas or, organized by uh, Frank Sinatra and Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart. Or mm-hmm. it could be, you know, I want to get out there something from The Office, one of my favorite TV shows, or Hamilton or something like that. But you also find yourself subscribing to uh, emails where every day they'll tell you, on this day in history, the Transcontinental Railroad you know, connected up, or on this day in history, the Wright brothers flew for the first time, or the first successful parachute drop. I don't want to hear about the unsuccessful ones. But, right, of course. Um, you know, so you 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 pick and choose from from those that you haven't already brought to the table. And some days were a little slow. You know, you're, you're having trouble finding something for that one day because it's really like I don't care about Henry VIII's third wedding, you know. But uh, it, it was it was fun. It was fun, but it was also challenging sometimes where, let's say, July 20th happened to be the lunar landing, but it was also the debut of the Shawshank Redemption. And I had to find another way to get Shawshank in there because it's one of my favorite movies. Okay. um, But it was a real, it was a challenge. And I also wanted to write it from a perspective of, I don't think everyone wants to know what's on the mind of a 59 year old white guy. So I tried to, you know, have it a lot more diverse and uh, multi-generational. I want it to appeal to To everyone, to everyone. Yeah. Okay. So with that in mind, what are you making next? Well, the next one is celebrating January 23rd. On this day in 1943, we have the, the movie Casablanca debuting. Mm-hmm. And, and so one of the greatest movies of all time. In that movie, you have a, a drink called the uh, the French 75. It's it's featured in the film where uh, Yvonne... There is sparkling in that and drink. And it's got sparkling in it. And I'm going to open a <laughs> bottle of cava that I hope you don't turn your nose up at. But... Uh, um, 
So a, a great drink with Heyman's London Dry Gin, a, a really nice cava from Spain, fresh lemon juice, and a little bit of simple syrup. And for the toast of this day, so every day has a toast or a quote. Obviously, here's looking at you, kid. Right. And for the song, you must remember this as time goes by. So for every day, there are these four components. Now listen, sweetheart. <laughs> I have Bogart, Sinatra, and Lauren Bacall trivia that I'll give you when the show's right. over. That, that's very... It's a, you don't want to try to stump me now. Okay. I, well, I can just tell you that he, Sinatra was in love with Bogart. They were buddies, but he admired him. And when Bogart died, he started dating Lauren Bacall. Yep. yep. And he was supposed to, he had proposed privately. And then, I can't remember, she did something that he didn't like, and he never called her again. Well, yeah. I, I think I know what it is, but I don't remember it That's offhand. That's in the but Jake Tepper book, actually. What was their favorite giggle water, as they refer to booze? Uh, what? You got me. The two of them mutually love Jack Daniels on the rocks with a little water. So. Oh, okay. How did my... That is a lot of trivia. Did I sound like Yeah, go ahead. Let's get that cocktail up and running. All right. Mi amigo. Bienvenidos to Foodie and the Beast. Thank you so much. David Sierra is the very talented executive chef and culinary director at a restaurant that is knocking them dead on Capitol Hill, mm-hmm. Joselito Casa de Comidas, which is, um, it's it's Spanish cuisine, but it's not your usual, it's not a bunch of paella on your plate, right? It is not the usual fare that uh, Washingtonians can find uh, all over the city. We're uh, to, proud to be a little bit different and a little bit more... Uh, Adventurous. Yeah. So let's talk about you, because you were at Taverna. You were at lots of interesting places. Right, you have places. a very interesting resume. Thank you. So <laughs> tell us about it. So I I started cooking at an early age, like probably when I was like 10, 11 with my mother. It was mm-hmm. just a coincidence that one day she was cooking and I did something. She was surprised. So that little warm uh, bit me. So I started like cooking with her a little bit. And so I started culinary arts. When I was 15 years old, mm-hmm. I graduated at almost 20. Wow. I've been working since then, and I started at Taberna de la Labardero in Madrid, and then made my way, and I ended up here in the United States in 2009. Wow. Uh, then I worked with uh, Fiola Mare with Fabio Trabocchi, mm-hmm. and then here I am. So... You've worked on doing a lot of different cuisines. What's your favorite? What do you like to do? Like, I I love I love a lot of uh, different cuisines. I, I love Japanese uh, food. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how to make it properly, okay. but I really love but it. But you like the flavors and the textures yes, and everything yes. in it. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll take you to Nobu. Okay. Yeah. yeah, you should do that. Yes, he's <laughs> like, yes, you that. should. Yeah, yeah. Take we me should. to Nobu. Yeah. Anytime, I'm up for it. <laughs> You're available, I know. Like, the, the thing that I um, do the best, I think, is Spanish food, uh, mm-hmm. just because of my roots, and sure. that's what I've been doing, like, Pretty much like 90% of my professional life. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when you talk about Spain and Portugal and Italy and s- southern France in particular and all that, the cuisines are very, I mean, there's always a, a you know, a, a, a twist on a theme. They're all very similar. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, if you're if you're by the sea, the, there's a seafood, you know, component, yep. um, but a lot of lamb and a lot of beef. I mean, a lot, of, you know, what everybody eats, but... But you you have a dish that you described to me. I, I want to hear about that on the air because you have a dish you described to me that had me filling my drool cup. 
Well, I get, I get this question a lot of times, and like people ask me, like, what, what is my favorite food? And I think, like, I, I have, like, so many. But if I really have to pick one, it, it will be cocido madrileño, mm-hmm. which is basically a, a whole meal. Um, it's a stew made of uh, chickpeas, potatoes, carrots, blood sausage, sausage, beef bones, chicken, Yum. Like the, everything that you can imagine is goes in the pot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you boil all together, like simmer all together for like almost three hours. And then you get that meal, like you eat that meal in three different stages. First being the soup uh, with noodles. Then you eat the chickpeas with all the veggies. And then at the end, the, the, meats. the meat. And Yum. then you have to take a two hours nap. That's, yes, uh, that's your Will you tell everybody, because I, I, it's weird. This came up a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. What is blood sausage, and what's the difference between blood sausage and sausage sausage? Well, the sausage is basically made with uh, pork fat and and meat, like basically grounded, mm-hmm. and you put like spices and a little bit of paprika. You encase it on a tripe, and you're good to go. You can curry it or cook it. And blood sausage is actually made of uh, pork blood. It's made with blood. That's yeah. why it's called blood sausage. Well, I understand that, but. <laughs> What does that do for the taste? It's uh, it's unbelievable. It's something like you really have to try the good Spanish blood sausage because mm-hmm. uh, it's like it's so a regular sausage is like meaty. It's like something that you chew. Blood sausage is more like 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 a like a pate, kind of like a cream, right? Yeah. yeah. It's got a real creamier texture, it right? Is. I'm doing yeah. this to help educate our audience. Okay. I know the difference. Oh, I'm just making sure. I don't know what you know. I know. But, it's okay. like, don't, don't let the world... I know that you're mean. Right. Don't let the, the, the world blood like, uh, lead you in a... Um, well, but I think that the American palate is expanding, right? People are more open... Especially uh, in the as the like we were talking about the cocktail culture, the food culture in the states is changing greatly. You know, whole animal. You know, uh, chefs are more uh, interested in serving whole animals, and if you want to use the whole animal, that does mean using the blood, right? Yeah. Like you have to use all of it. There is a bit of an ick factor for some people who did not grow up eating hearts or or kidneys or blood sausage, right? Yeah. So it's about an education to a palate that's not introduced well, to it. there are a lot of things in that sort of Mediterranean world, that cuisine. Tripe, for example. I lived in Italy for a while, and there were vendors no. on the street. Yes, I'd like everyone to know that again. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, there are guys with push carts, you know, with steaming tripe. You, know, you get a little tripe, a little mustard, and some bread and all that. I You passed. I passed. Mm-hmm. Because it's a part of the animal I'm not interested in. But... But there are all these things that, you know, you have now as a choice and can try. You know, blood sausage is not on – you don't go to the Palm and get blood sausage. It's not on but the That's American. an American restaurant. I understand. Actually, that's actually, my point. Bes- Thank you. Besides cocido madrileño in Madrid, uh, one of the staple um, dishes of the region is actually beef tripe. Mm-hmm. And made with chorizo and tomato, garlic. Uh, bay leaves, and it's really the, delicious. If you don't know what it is, yeah. if you don't actually, you will eat it, and you will love it. So what I is guarantee the, you that. For people who aren't familiar with tripe, what is the texture when you, I mean, it has to be cooked a long time, right? Because it's tough. Yes. It has to, like, first be treated and was, like, uh, very throbly, 
like you you don't want any yeah that's like, why that's why I wasn't eating it out of any street <laughs> but, but it's actually like the beef trade is one of the first stomachs of the beef so it doesn't have that that much of um you know fecal matter uh, mm -hmm. let's say oh good uh, but in, but I mean you have to you have to treat it you have Is to that, wash it was it originally part of a poo poo platter on that note we're going to take a quick break because <laughs> I think we should this, this show is, is turning to sh yeah. never mind okay. <laughs> this is David and Nikki Nellis it's Foodie and the Beast we'll be back in just a sec Back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And while we continue to talk to David C David Sierra, mm -hmm. uh, Levin is going to pop open a bottle of champagne from Greece. Really, Spark sparkling wine. Sparkling yeah. wine. Right. Duh. Anyways, while we do that, you're going to hear the pop, but I want to keep talking to David because you have a sister restaurant, Sarah. And we should talk about that too. Well, just can we, we haven't really dive, uh, dove into the dynamics of this restaurant. So is it just a classic restaurant? Where is it? Let's just talk about a little bit it's of the highlights little. of the menu. So can we talk about the restaurant, both restaurants and what their styles are, please? Sure. Uh, well, starting with Joselito, um, we we knew from the very beginning that, uh, as I mentioned before, like we wanted to be different. We wanted to like um, mm -hmm. ma make something uh, pretty much unseen here. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the main characteristics of Joselito, or two of them, if if I can say, is that we basically are uh, cooking or serving there what we as Spaniards eat at home, but with a kind of a modern touch. More like of a flair. Where, where, so a little chefed up. Yes. Right? But, Mama's cooking with a, but no tweezers. Yeah. But yeah. it's yeah. a little, it's a pretty little space right how much how many seats do you have it is we have uh, around 60 seats mm -hmm. uh but the main challenge uh for us in the kitchen uh, is actually the the size of the kitchen it's 250 square feet including this washer so wow. when it's... i first saw that kitchen i was like i don't know if we are going to be able to pull this out but we i'm going we... back to fabio Right. <laughs> it was yeah. like, uh, yep, the, basically the walk-in of Fabio is bigger than, yeah. <laughs> than, than our whole kitchen. Uh, but yeah, it's turned out to be uh, fine and fun and actually easy to manage. So there's like everything is in control. We have to order like pretty much uh, daily because we don't have that much space to, mm -hmm. to store it. So it's cheers, always... Everybody. Cheers, everybody. Yeah, cheers. There's always fresh products. Two wines from Greece. Salud. Salud. There we go. May I compliment? Yes. So I've actually been to Joselito at least six or eight times. Mm -hmm. It's a fantastic restaurant. My wife loves it when we're trying to figure I out what to do. I saw him hand you a check. Says, <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Joselito. It is, it is very, very good. Oh, well, that is an excellent uh, in-person testimony. Can I we love still that. get in Thank tonight? Yeah. Sure. Um, sure. Tell us about uh, Sarah. Uh, well, Ser is uh, a little bit different. Ser is more uh, of a comfort food uh, mm -hmm. place. Um, like I, I always put it in a way that Ser is the place where you take your family and kids and you go with friends to have like a nice big meal and and, and, and spend like a nice night out. Mm -hmm. And Joselito is like more intimate. It's the place where you take your your date, your wife, and and it's more like relaxed, more like uh, intimate. So kids are welcome, but don't bring them. Where is Sir? <laughs> What's the address? Sir is uh, in Bolston neighborhood in mm -hmm. Virginia. It's at 1110th uh, North Glyph Road. Mm -hmm. uh, Joselito is on Easter Market on Capitol Hill, mm -hmm. just a block away from Easter Market. 
um, on 660 Pennsylvania Avenue Southeast. Excellent. And where can we find everything that you're doing for like the holidays and everything like that? I mean, other than the list, are you on it dot com? You can, where can you find it? You can go to www.josalitodc.com mm -hmm. and we, uh, you can also find us on Instagram at uh, Josalito Hill. And you can always like call the restaurant and, and if you can't spell Joselito, you don't deserve to right. go there. That's uh, and just quickly, I know you're doing a lot for the holidays. Can you just tell us what you're doing for Christmas? New yes, Year's we are. Uh, we are opening uh, for Christmas Eve on the mm -hmm. 24th. We are going to be closing uh, on Christmas Day mm -hmm. on the 25th because we also deserve to be with our families. Yes, you should. I guess. And <laughs> and I'm happy to work with uh, with Javier, which is the owner, and he has like very big family values, and mm -hmm. that's always that. Uh, I think it's important, especially in this industry. Right. Uh, and we're going to have a special menu on uh, New Year's Eve great. on the 31st with 12 great celebratory great. Wow. Um, event at the end. So I'm going to like basically just stand up on the bar with a big pie of pen and a big spoon, and I'm going to pretend that I'm a clock. So we're going to give 12 grapes to oh, every guest. It. And we are going to like awesome. ring Bang the, the pan. All, All right. Pan. Everybody All right. Thank go you. to Joselito. All right. right. So, Phil Green. Yes, sir. So, Phil, let's talk about like what's your favorite day in here in this book as we're cheering. to like This is, is it, this is like the perfect calendar to give to people. Like, you know, like people give calendars for the new year. Like this chance, is Phil, the calendar. Is it August 31st by any <laughs> chance no, at all? Let me see what happened on August 31st. I mean, 31st. he's feeling very competitive, Yeah, this, Phil, this jazz cause... about Nikki's birthday and Nikki's drink. I know. Can you okay, imagine so living August with Okay, so August 31st. Yeah. On this day each year, the town of Nejapa, El Salvador, Ay, celebrates the festival of Las Bolas del Fuego. Man, You're going to like this. Balls of fire. Now, come on now. Well, balls of fire. Yeah, like, it right. commemorates like the eruption of, of the fire. nearby El Playon Mexi uh, volcano in 1658. So I created a drink for, on this day called the Fireball Whiskey and Sour. The, the coincidence is, the, what, the, I sang with there the band no at our wedding, and Great Balls of Fire is what I sang to Nikki at our it wedding. It is his song. <laughs> Tell Talk me about, what you want to do. Okay, so uh, a local a local hero, friend of uh, our family, Katie Ledecky, on mm -hmm. uh, July thirtieth, twenty twenty, won Olympic gold uh, in the in the twenty twenty Summer Olympic Games in Tokyo. Funny story: uh, when she won her first gold medal, the local news people were scrambling to find somebody to interview because she and her family were all over in London. Sure. So they they discovered that our daughter Hannah was one of her best friends. So they came to our house to interview Hannah. Well, Hannah was in Maine, unfortunately. They didn't they didn't ask if she we was actually you. at home. So that she had to Skype in on on our other daughter's laptop, the two of our daughters on the couch, and Hannah calling in from Maine. It must have been it, it was kind of funny to come home from work and have cameras everywhere. I bet. Katie Ledecky goes to school right there, or went to school Stone down Ridge. the street from our house. Yes, yeah, right. right. That's where that's where our that's daughters right. met her. Those are the All people right. always so, holding up traffic in the morning. So I'm making a drink called the Golden Girl. So tying in, you know, Golden Girl and I um I'm using Heyman's uh, London Dry Gin and a, a nice uh, Fino That's the oldest cherry, distiller, distilled gin in England, isn't it? I believe it? so, yeah. yeah. And I knew wow. that. Yeah, because great you stuff. read what you no, said. No, 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 I knew that. <laughs> Somebody else had told me that. Okay. Is, it, is it bad to say that when I hear Golden Girl, I think of Betty White? No. No, that makes sense. Yeah, go ahead, shake it up. All right, but and whose show is this anyway, buddy? <laughs> so, very quickly, tell everybody where you have a ton of events coming up and... Your book is out there, so tell everybody like 
how we can find out about all your events, where we can find you, what's happening, how we can get the book. Like, let's wrap this up. Find me on uh, uh, philipjgreen.com, one Ellen Philip, middle initial J, green with an E on the end. Mm-hmm. On the 15th, I'm doing a book launch seminar at the City Tavern Club right down near the corner of Wisconsin and M. Great. Tickets are still available on Eventbrite. On the 19th, we're doing our annual holiday cocktail seminar at Last Call. That's Monday the 19th. That's Gina Again, Cervani. Gina Cervani, Dwayne Sylvester, cast of characters, including Deke Dunn from Allegory. Oh, cool. Uh, are all going to be – and Todd Thrasher, another local hero. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, thr- you're getting the, the gang back together. Yeah, you are. Yeah. So it's it's a great night. We still have a few tickets remaining for that. That's also okay. on Eventbrite, the D.C. Holiday Cocktail Seminar. Excellent. Wow. Great. And uh, the book? Book is Cheers, Cocktails and Toasts to Celebrate Every Day of the Year, available uh, you can go to Anthropology. I'm proud to say this is a book to it. have on your bar. I love this. I Barnes think it's a Noble, great gift. Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you so All much. Right. So good to see you. So okay. uh, before we wrap up, I just want to remind everybody. I read in the paper that now uh, the 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 Iranians and the Russians are colluding uh, with. Uh, pilotless drones and all that to mm-hmm. bring more war to the Ukrainians. So that war is going to go on for a while. The Ukraine needs all the support it can possibly get. There are people who are refugees. There are people still in the country who are having trouble getting fed. So I don't care if it's a dollar. I don't care if what it is. Send money to Jose's World Central Kitchen. Send mm-hmm. money to the Wet Red Cross. The UN has um, uh, funds. Just give a little bit. Not just because it's the holidays. You should give it all the time because that's, if they lose that war, that's a mess. Well, as if I can add to that, with the holiday spirit, everybody's rushing around, hustling and bustling, great parties, great shopping, all that kind of good stuff. But do remember that there are lots of people in need. And if you can, you should please give. There's so many great charities out there. And animals. And animals, of course. Uh, and we want to thank all of our guests for joining us in studio today. It was boozy and delicious and so much fun. You can uh, find out about everything you heard about here and more at the thelistareyouwanted.com, the online zine that tells you about everything happening in the D.C. metro area. Of course, you want to tune in now. Industry Night is now out of the wine lair, and we are now on YouTube and on all channels. And uh, Foodie and the Beast every Sunday here at 11 a.m. on Sundays on 1500. Follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you again to everybody in studio for joining us. And thank you to our listeners. Be safe out there and have a delicious week. 